What's up, church planners, pastors, and disciple makers? My name is Jared Huntley, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and I'm with my good friend Logan Douglas, who's coming to you from Reykjavik, Iceland. You are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by ordinary church planters that exists to encourage and equip other church planters and pastors to make disciples in hard places. Logan, what is going on, my friend? Oh, you know, uh, <laughs> enjoying the fall in Iceland. Um, I was drinking some kombucha earlier. Um, <laughs> you ever drink the the dirty green tea? No. I don't really know how else to describe it. The, I don't the green really have tea an with interest. the bacteria in it. You ever I drink just, that? Whenever I heard that there's bacteria in it, that was pretty much like game over for me. I don't. I mean, I just don't know the appeal of drinking bacteria. So. You know, I, I I'm know. a sucker for fats. Like, have you ever found yourself to be one of those? Like, for fats? For fats, I do like fats as well, but fads. Oh, fads. fads. <laughs> yeah, I like fats. Um, no, I yeah. don't like fads. I am actually, like, very, very much, like, I want to go, like, if everybody's doing it, it makes me even more want to not do it. That's a fad. Being a nonconformist is a fad, just, <sighs> just so we're clear. <laughs> Uh, but no, what up? No, it's well, not. For me, it's not everything, but it is, um, especially when it comes to health stuff, because mm-hmm. I do kind of nerd out on fitness and nutrition. And, and so when someone says that, you know, there's bacteria and it's supposed to help with your gut health. And if you ever make the mistake of watching a documentary on gut health, which I've done before, I mean, you start just basically you think leading up to that point that you are on the brink of death even though you weren't yeah uh and then now you have to like fix the situation um and so yeah i I drink kombucha it's tasty so there's that (laughs) but it is pricey yeah maybe i need to maybe i need to look into this yeah i'm not advocating for anyone to drink kombucha i'm just saying that i like it yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pass on kombucha. I'm going to stick with coffee, but hey, to each his own. So well, we both know my coffee game needs improvement. Oh, yes, it certainly does. So you're yeah, I don't I'm not sure. I'm not sure at this point why anybody would want to take advice from you on how to drink um, coffee and tea beverages, because you told us last week that you drink day old cold coffee from the refrigerator. That's not even Folgers quality. It's like Costco bulk quality. So yikes yeah my palate is not refined no that that is just like i i don't need to eat fancy stuff and when i eat fancy stuff i just get sad because normally it's 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 expensive and they don't give me a lot of it that's true that is true i could have bought a subway that's true so um man we're gonna be we it's funny we're gonna be talking today about uh, how to find good missionaries and church planters to support both in North America and internationally, because I think that's something that I, I've found that it's been a challenge for me at times in ministry as I've been pastoring churches. Like there's a desire to want to further the great commission around the world, but it can be very difficult to figure out how to connect with missionaries and church planters globally, especially, Especially when you start talking about like hard to reach places, it gets even more difficult for various reasons. And we can talk about that. But even in North America, it's it's hard to vet and to find like, how do you decide who you're going to support? Uh, what does it look like to support uh, in a in a helpful way? 
missionaries and church planters. But I thought it was funny that the way that we decided on this is we were debating about talking about that or another topic. And right before we started this episode, you pulled out a die um, to roll so that we that could help us uh, by casting lots decide uh, which topic we were going to decide. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Apparently, you've been getting into lot casting uh, as a way to help you make decisions. You know, uh, when I read things in the Bible, I just try to obey them and just I take them literally. replicate them. So I see people casting lots. That just makes sense. Have you no, made that, yourself a eunuch? Have like you that. made yourself a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom? Did you take that um, literally? No, I didn't mm. do that. Did you know that um, Origen, a, a legend has it that Origen did? The second really? century ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Legend has it that he, uh, like in his early Christian days, in his zeal, read it and was like, well... All right, there goes nothing. And just like, I love Jesus. It's like, Listen, whoops. If, if any of you go into cage stage Christianity, do not do that. Just, yeah, please don't do that. Yeah. No, we are not advocating for that. No, but so I, I, how do I explain this? There's this thing called decision fatigue. Mm. So I, am an introvert. So, uh, and I'm a particular type of introvert and we could one day nerd out on personality tests. I think they're helpful, but I, I don't get really deep into them. But basically I just think all the time and I live in my head. And so I'm just constantly kind of thinking about certain things and creating and systematizing and Blah, 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 blah. It's just like if I'm driven in, in not the best of ways, in some ways, in sinful ways about efficiency and, and all of these things. And basically, I make a lot of decisions. And historically, when I was in the military, then when I was a young adult pastor, started a young adult ministry at a church. And uh, even here being in Iceland, eldering a church and now seeking to plant a church, make a lot of decisions. Mm-hmm. And I just... There are some mundane decisions I don't want to make. I just do not want to make what the decision for what me and Carla watch on Netflix oh my gosh. on a Tuesday night. Why is that you such know? a hard decision? You're right. And that is a hard one. It's like, you know, you can spend 15 to 20 minutes trying to make a decision on where you're going to eat, yep. what you're going to wear, where you're going to go, who you're going to hang out with, what you're going to watch. Yep. And so I... <laughs> Uh, just decided that I was not going to be, I was not, and here's, here's the funny. So this is how I, I decided on the 20 side die, other than the fact that I'm a nerd. <laughs> so I was at a, a nine marks weekender at Capitol Hill Baptist church mm-hmm. and Mark Dever. This was, I think on the Sunday or Monday, you got your 20 sided die from Mark Dever. No, 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 oh. I do not want to say this. So I, even though I don't know if Mark Dever is listening, uh, I, I did not get it, but the idea of like making decisions, are not making like those types of decisions. This is what he does. He he was wearing this shirt and someone commented on this shirt, which was like supporting a church in Hawaii or something like that. And the guy was like, hey, I'm like, I just think it's really awesome that you support these local churches. And Mark goes, look, brother, I love the fact that you think I'm more holy than I am and that this was intentional. This is not how I did this. I have three drawers of shirts and I go January, February, March, April, May, June. Then I have it. And then there's stacks. I go Monday, or, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I just grab a shirt. He's like, <laughs> I don't make those types of decisions. And I remember going home going, 
That was one of the most profound things I got out of that whole weekender. Is like Mark Dever has made a system to where he doesn't have to make decisions on what T-shirt he makes. How can I implement that into my life? And so I have a twenty-sided Thus, die. The twenty-sided die. Yeah. So if there, it, because it's twenty-sided, because you know, basically between one to twenty items, one to twenty options, I can just make a decision, and I I carry that thing. All do you really? The time. That's awesome. I do. I keep it that in my pocket. Legit. So now How does people it work just out? know. Do you, do you like do the decision? Have the decisions turned out well? They have. Yeah. Like if it's a decision that is just you know, there's no lose. What's the it, biggest it, decision you've made? The most important decision you've made with the die with casting the lots. Man, yeah, I can't. Uh, whether to hang out with someone or not. Okay, so these I are mean, like small really, decisions, not like should yeah. I buy this car or should no, I? No, no, yeah, no. yeah. I, okay, I, I rely far too much on evidence for such things. I'm a research and content type yeah. of person. I process yeah. and th- synthesize things like that. But if it's you know, if either option or any of these options are good options and people are just taking too long. I'm just like, I'm just rolling the dice. So does it ever going to go with this? Do you ever wonder like, so I, I legitimately like have this wonder sometimes like what happened to lot casting? Because like important decisions like, oh, I don't know who the 12th apostle was going to be were made by casting lots. And you think about that, like that was like not even pre, you know, death, resurrection of Jesus. It was like, I mean, that was after Jesus ascended. So it's not like we can go, oh, well, that was Old Testament. It's irrelevant because they literally decided on the 12th apostle and like they're, you know, lots were cast, you know, you see it some in other places of the book of Acts. And it's like, if they thought that was a good way when they were facing decisions where they ultimately, it was kind of like two good choices, you know, there was like not Mm -hmm. like scripture didn't clearly speak to it one way or the other. Basically they prayed and fasted and then made a decision and went for it. Like they cast the lot and they believed that God is sovereign over the role of the die. Like they actually, because that's in the Bible. That's not just like us making that up. That's actually in the book of Proverbs. And once the die was cast, they were like, okay, we're going to move forward. We're going to be decisive in this. Like, I actually think there's something to that, to just not second guessing and going at the end of the day, if we trust God and we believe that God is number one, he's sovereign. And number two, he's good. He's not just going to let us unknowingly walk off a cliff. If we're genuinely from our heart seeking to do his will and to glorify him, he's not just going to let us like ruin everything. I mean, he's, he's in control. And so if you're facing two difficult choices like that, like just pick something and go with it at some point. Make sure you've prayed and fasted and sought the Spirit's leading, but it's okay to just pick something. And you know what? I wouldn't even fault you if you did it by casting lots. I think we should make lot casting great again. So basically you're saying that I just need to pray before I roll this and then I'm being super well, biblical. But if at you that make point. it like if you make it like rote like that and you just say like you're like a cursory prayer. No, I mean like legitimately like get on your face and plead with God to give you the mercy to help you know God, what do you want me to do? Especially if it's like a big decision, you know, like seek counsel, you know, like do everything that scripture calls us to do. Don't just go, "Oh, I'm just going to say a prayer and cast a lot." And that's that's all I need to do. I'm not I mean, saying you're that. bringing up you're bringing up topics like fatalism and just this idea of I mean, I think that is the issue. We think that we can somehow derail God's plans. And right. so we have this 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 kind of false notion that there is always a right and always a wrong. Mm-hmm. And we have to it's like, no, you can make a decision. And if it doesn't work out, then OK, 
Yeah, exactly. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's all it's okay. I've commonly told people, unless you kill someone, most most all of our mistakes aren't that bad. Yeah. Like uh, apart from murder, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and we see that there are murderers that are key figures in the biblical text. So even God forgives murderers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like we fear the outcome being what is not the ideal or somehow mm-hmm. not at God's will. Yeah, and so like we fear there's that paralysis we, by analysis and it's yeah. like, man, just make a decision. Yeah, because we, we're afraid that like if we if we just make a decision that we're going to make the wrong decision. And so it's almost like we want absolute certainty that we 100% without a shadow of a doubt know God's will on this before we move ahead. And sometimes, I mean, that's not generally what walking by faith looks like. Like nope. when you're walking by faith, you're not going to 100% without a shadow of a doubt and know God's will on everything. Sometimes you just got to make a decision and know I've prayed about this. I've sought counsel there. I've examined both of these choices. Neither one of them um, violate or dishonor God's word in any way. Both of them could be supported by scripture. And so like, you know, so I've got some freedom of, of conscience here, you know, in terms of my decision, like, you know, I could, go this way or that way. And either one could in theory, please the Lord. So I'm going to pick one. I'm going to go. And I think that is actually an act of faith and trust by doing that. When you just pick something and do it instead of getting caught up in, you know, the paralysis of analysis, uh, like you're talking about. So yeah, it's interesting. We could probably do a whole episode on this at some point if we didn't plan on getting into this, but I mean, write it down. Put it on. Put it on the spreadsheet. That in the seminary one. Dang that was gonna be if if the die had been eleven to twenty, we were gonna talk about seminary. And yep. so, and we probably will at some point, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back first. But uh, I, you know, that's please come back. I honestly, Soon. bro, I really, really want him to like more than ever. Like every passing day, like I just I can't even anymore with the world. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I yeah. feel. I, I oh, just crazy. sin, my sin, others, people's sin, sin all around. And I'm who like, knows Jesus. what's going to happen between now and whenever this episode comes out in like a week Ooh. and a half, because like, like who knows, you never know what's going to happen between now and then. No. But, um, well, let's go ahead and jump into our topic. We are talking about how to find missionaries and church planters to support and then how to actually be helpful in your support of them. And like I was saying in our intro, it can be difficult to find good work, good gospel work going on in other parts of the world. So if somebody's listening and they're a pastor of a church, or maybe they're an individual, not a pastor of a church or, or a pastor of a church plant, they're, but they're an individual who has a, a heart for missions, has a heart for church planting, wants to find church planters, missionaries that they can support that are doing good gospel work. First of all, like, how do you know what to look for? Like, how do you know this is a good investment of uh, ministry resources? So what are some things, Logan, that you would say that people should look for in missionaries and church planters to support? I mean, I think the first thing is just the gospel. I mean, and, and I know that that seems like a, well, duh. But I fear that many church leaders take the gospel um they kind of assume it and they and they take it for granted when they're talking to almost anyone who who is doing christian work outside of their local church Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes even in your local church you know that's there's uh, 
you know, youth ministry or children's ministry or something. I mean, I fear that often we don't have conversations about the gospel when we should. And so I think just an upfront kind of asking of the person or vetting them, look at a statement of faith, have a conversation about their understanding of how one is saved. Uh, I mean, and not, you don't have to do an expansive theological kind of evaluation, but you know, there's a lot of false gospels out there. I mean, the, the early church was dealing with false gospels. And so, you know, the deity of Christ, his bodily resurrection, the virgin birth. Uh, so really just you could just send them your statement of faith mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'd love to talk about this and mm-hmm. see if we if we line up on these things mm-hmm. before we go any further. So I think that's like the first one is just make sure that they have the gospel right and that you agree theologically. Um, I think the next thing you look for is in some way a likeness in philosophy of ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, if you're a church that fully believes in uh, public evangelism mm-hmm. and outreach ministries like that, and you go to a church that's more focused on one-on-one discipleship and kind of... Uh, apologetics events or something like that. Like if there's just a difference in how you think the gospel should go out in that context, uh, knowing that I'm not saying you don't necessarily can, you, you have to limit the partnership because there is a difference there, but at least you need to know because if you don't, then what you're going to have inevitably is some sort of conflict in how you think best to do ministry. Uh, and so being able to have that conversation in earnest up front just is, is able to save a lot of time, yeah. I think. Um, and just making sure that before we, you know, become a partner and you count on our giving and we give the funds that our congregation has given us to steward that we at least know enough about one another theologically and then ministerially. I think those are the two really big ones yeah. um, that come to mind. What do you think? So a couple of things come to mind. I think number one, and this is something I look for in, you know, uh, other leaders, if I, you know, if I'm bringing on a, you know, a leader to our church, something like that, if it's something I look for in other pastors is humility. Um, I think humility is extremely important and it's one of the the main things. Like if somebody's not humble and teachable, um, then I think their capacity and potential for growth is, uh, really hamstrung and they're not going to be able uh, to grow. Uh, and so uh, I just think that's extremely important. I mean, and even kind of going back to what we talked about in last week's episode, you know, somebody who's humble enough to realize they're not the savior, you know, they're not the star of the show. They're not going to uh, this mission field, you know, to go save all the, all the, the poor people and that they're God's gift to this place or what have you. Um, you know, you've, we've heard about the white savior complex, you know, uh, before in, you know, mission in overseas missions, things like that. I, you know, I think those are things that I want to look out for. And then I think also just, I think this kind of goes hand in hand with that is they, I look for, do they have oversight and accountability in place? So are they a part of some organization uh, like the International Mission Board or something like that? Uh, Is that, you know, how involved is that organization? Uh, You know, do they have 
other partners they're working with in the area? Are they alone or do they have teammates uh, that are, you know, working with them on the same project or at the, at the same church plant? Um, yeah. Like who, who else is in their life? Like putting them in check. Cause you know, I, I do know I've seen plenty of instances where people will kind of proclaim themselves to be missionaries and just start raising money on some platform and announce that I'm going to Ecuador and I'm going to, you know, reach people for Jesus. And, you know, in their zeal, they're going, but they've, they've got no oversight. There's really nobody like checking and balancing them. There's nobody who can speak into their life. If they start to go off the rails morally or doctrinally, that's dangerous to me. And like, that's not a wise investment of ministry resources. And so like, I, I wouldn't, uh, lead our church, uh, to part partner with somebody who's doing that. I want to see like, okay, are they, is there a support system around these people, um, you know, that's going to, to help protect them. I mean, that's ultimately what the support system is for. It's to protect the missionary and his or her family so that they can be set up for success for the long haul so that they don't make a shipwreck of their own lives and of their ministry and all the people who are on board the ship with them. Um, you know, nobody wants, no church wants to but dump a bunch of resources into a ship that's going to sink, that's going to run aground. And so that's why I think it's important to look for those things when we consider supporting a missionary or church planter. Yeah, that's so good. I, I like I, I like the fact that you're you're looking at the character of the person, which is important. And I think that if you're listening to this and you are a pastor or church leader, maybe a missions pastor or deacon over missions, and you're you're thinking of, you know, okay, well, how do I do that? I mean, this process doesn't have to happen quickly, but you want there it you, you want it to be personal. So you want to schedule you know, if it's if it's in another country, if you can go visit them and take yeah. a vision trip, do it. Absolutely. Uh, if you can't, by the way, of, I miss you. I want to come see you in Iceland, man. You're gonna I'm come. Su- Don't I'm worry. super or, bummed that I didn't Jesus get, comes get back, stupid, and then that'll be better. Stupid COVID um, canceled my trip, so I'm coming. I will come. Well, I look forward to you coming. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, so practically, we have vision trips here in Iceland, um, and I spend. Uh, a decent amount of time talking to church leaders that are partnered with me and they know me, you know, they know my wife, they know my heart. We have conversations, uh, and they trust me. Uh, and that goes a long way for not only them, but for their churches because their churches are, are giving to the ministry here and entrusting me with those resources to use them well. And so if you're a local church pastor and you're thinking about partnering with someone, I mean, schedule video calls with them. Um, Not so frequently that you're taking them out of ministry context. And if they're several hours away from you, be sensitive to their life rhythm. So there needs to be compromise on both sides, I will say from experience. But I think that's important. And then maintaining those relationships. Yep. You know, uh, if if they have a regular newsletter, make sure that you're receiving it, make sure you're sharing it with your congregation. Um, if they don't, and, and maybe I would say don't force them to, then you just take it on you to stay in contact, see how they're doing, uh, eliminate them in prayer and things like that. And so Assessing their character, but then making it personal, I think, is super important. And that's one of the things that, you know, as you were saying, humility um, and their character in that way, I I was just thinking 
You know, there there's a lot of temptation for people to just find a person and then give them money. Yep. And kind of just walk away and, and say they're supporting the person. Um, and that is dangerous mm-hmm. because you as a church leader are given these resources to steward by your people. And mm-hmm. if you decide to partner with a missionary, um, you want to make sure that they are not bringing um, kind of shame upon the name of Christ. They're not marring the name of Jesus. Right. And that you're not going to have to go and explain to your congregation that they had a moral failure yeah. or that they were out there spouting heresy. And so, uh, you know, theology, philosophy, ministry is great, but character, you know, and oversight. Again, we are all fallen. We are all fallen. If you think that you are beyond the need of accountability, I would say that you are in a dangerous place. Like we yeah. all need accountability. We all need oversight because we are, you know, Romans ten thirteen. There is no sin that any of us are struggling with that is uncommon to all of us. I mean, we all struggle with the same sins, just in different degree. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a church planter or a missionary out there, you need oversight. If you're a church supporting one without oversight, they need oversight. Yeah. Um, so. And I, I love what you said about, you know, not just, sending money. Um, you know, that, that, that's not a partnership. I think about, uh, the book of Philippians and, you know, Philippians in you know, uh, to a large extent is a, basically like a thank you letter from Paul thanking the church of Philippi for their support of his ministry. And in the opening of the letter in verse chapter one, verse three, five to five, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he goes on and on. And I mean, you just read that. Those don't sound like the words of somebody who have kind of this distant relationship where like, oh, every now and then we send money. Like these people knew each other and they loved one another and they did ministry together. Like they prayed for one another. They were involved in each other's lives. That's what a partnership looks like. Um, so, and we might be getting ahead of ourselves here. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But first let's talk about like practically, how do you find ministries to support? Because this is... I think a real challenge. I know uh, I've pastored churches now for, uh, you know, a few years. And one of the, the challenges that I've had in the past is having a desire to support church planters and missionaries, especially abroad, and not really knowing where to find them. It's almost like, I think there's a lot more people and pastors in that position than we realize. Like they want to give financially. They want to pray. They want to go and, 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 you know, go on mission trips and things like that, but they don't really know, like, where, how do you find good missionaries and good church planting work around the world? So what would you say to somebody who's like, where do I start? Where do I look? I would say that, there are two ways I would encourage you to do this. Uh, and those the differences in these ways really has to do with if you discern a certain connection with a certain place. So uh, I'll give you an example of a case where that happened was Stafford Baptist Church in Stafford, Virginia, having a burden for Iceland and contacting organizations to see if anyone was working with Iceland and no one was. And so they came almost in an exploratory fashion and did reconnaissance, Mm -hmm. uh, sent church leaders here 
and saw there was really no church planting. There was really no evangelical church presence. And they, as a church, kind of adopted Iceland and uh, took this unique way of creating the Iceland Project as a church and investing resources and sending people to start evangelism, Bible studies and things like that. And so I'm not telling you necessarily to do that, but if you have a heart for Guatemala or you have a heart for Nigeria or you have a heart for Russia or, you know, even maybe a specific people group, Mm -hmm. then start asking around, you know, uh, if you, especially if you're a church leader and and I I can just speak for Baptists because we're we're Southern Baptists, you know, contact your state association and uh, talk to the missions person and say, Hey, do you know of anybody who's supporting work in this country Mm -hmm. Um, or contact an organization like the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Or if you're not in the SBC, there's places like Acts 29. There are places like City to City, um, which is based out of Redeemer Presbyterian uh, in New York City. There's Radstock. You know, there are organizations that you can contact and see, you know, hey, we feel like God's calling us to this country, do you have workers there? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you have a blank slate, then you can still do that, but be more prayerful and discerning as to who, how you want to support. And, and so I could recommend all kind of ways of doing this. Like maybe, so if you're in the state of Mississippi and you're like, oh, we want to support local missionaries who are on the field, we'll mm-hmm. contact again, the association and say, hey, do we have any missionaries or church planters that have gone and planted, you know, somewhere nationally or internationally or being missionaries um, or, Ask around. Mm-hmm. Ask other churches that are partnering. I mean, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. So mm-hmm. if a, the church that is, you know, two cities over and you're really friendly with that pastor because you went to seminary together and they're supporting, you know, a, a church planter in Canada, then don't feel like, oh, well, they're taken. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> church planting is expensive. Missions Heck is yeah, expensive. And so don't think that, well, they've got a supporter. No, if you knew how many supporters I need to live here in Iceland, mm-hmm. uh, we, <laughs> we're, uh, we, we need supporters and yeah. missionaries and church planters need supporters. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a pastor that you're friends with or, you know, uh, a ministry that's supported by one or two churches in your association regionally, uh, in your state or even nationally, you know, think about partnering with them, you know, Mm -hmm. ask, Hey, who's, who's a really solid church planner, uh, in a hard city that needs more partner churches who who's an international missionary that, you Mm -hmm. know, that is just solid on fire for the Lord wants to reach people with Jesus that needs, needs help. And, you know, and that you're betting them almost because you are have a working relationship with uh, or, you know, a church that has a working relationship with them is able to attest to their um, the validity of their ministry. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Those are some great practical ways that you can reach out, uh, you know, and find church planters, missionaries to support. And, uh, you know, or you I, can just, you know, come to Iceland and support the Iceland project. That's right. Sorry. Well, I was shameless yeah, plug. No, I was about to say, I would be remiss if I didn't say that. I think that, you know, a great, uh, project support is the Iceland project. And, uh, you know, Logan and, and his wife, Carla are there, uh, planting uh, redeemer Reykjavik, uh, right now. And so, uh, they depend on the support, uh, of others from, uh, you know, largely from within the States. And so, 
yeah, it's a great, uh, great effort to support. And then uh, we're a part of the Praetorian Project, which is you a network. You stole my thunder. I was going to introduce the Praetorian Project. How dare you? Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, we're a part of the Praetorian Project. It's a family of churches near, uh, a family of multiplying churches near military communities around the world. And so uh, our desire is to uh, help multiply other churches near military installations, U.S. military installations, so that as military members are uh, moved from one place to another, as they so frequently are due to the nature of being in the military, uh, they can we can send them out as disciple makers and they can take the gospel with them. And uh, Lord willing, as they're, the more Praetorian Project churches we have planted, uh, then when they move from one place to another, they'll have a church home to go to. And so there's some great work going on within that network right now. So you can contact me and I can hook you up with a bunch of different church planters right now who could all uh, use some support. Uh, there's a, a lot of great gospel work going on uh, as far as, uh, and by the way, these aren't just military churches. These are these churches are near military communities, but like our church has, our church is probably about 20% military and then 80% civilian. Um, some of the other churches are heavier in the military depending on where they are. So there's a lot of great ways that you guys can get connected to church planters and missionaries. And you know, I was just thinking them. we need to interview Clint again and maybe Colby and talk about the Praetorian Project and then have another one where we talk about the Iceland Project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So we've talked about some ways to find good church planners, missionary support. So then, you know, thinking about how to actually be helpful in our support, because there is a way to be unhelpful. Uh, There are things that you can do that are not super, you know, valuable in terms of offering help. Like I've, I know I've had some experiences. So, uh, you know, my wife and I planted a church in Canada and we planted a church here in Washington, DC. We've dealt with lots of different ministry partners. I will say, for almost like the most part, like 99% of the time, all the partners we have, we've had have been fantastic. I've heard horror stories from other church planters about like just crazy stuff that people have done. Like, you know, people coming on mission trips and basically telling them like, oh, you shouldn't do things this way. And you need to, you need to change your strategy and, oh, you shouldn't preach like this or, oh, you should, your, your logo should look different. You know, that's one of the things you don't do. Don't go and give all of your advice to a church planner or missionary and tell them, Hey, here's what you need to do to reach more people in their in your context because you don't know. <laughs> You're not Amen. an expert Amen. in their context. And you're that's not the way you support them. Don't go give them advice. We pe- church planners and missionaries don't need people to give them advice. They need people to encourage them. They need people to pray for them. They need people to support them financially. And they need people who can come and, you know, occasionally, maybe depending on the context, can come on mission trips to be an encouragement to their church to serve in various ways, depending on the context, but don't need advice. Don't need, you know, like armchair quarterbacks. Yeah. And, and hear me say this. I'm not saying amen as a church planter who is a missionary church planter in another context. And I'm saying this is like, I've been the recipient of this, which I have in a way, but I'm saying this because I was that guy. Mm. I mean, before we moved to Iceland, I was a young adult pastor at a First Baptist Church in Mississippi, and we were partnered with the Icelandic church here. And I can remember giving Gunnar 
advice and telling him like things that I felt that he could do uh, or I just felt like, well, this doesn't seem efficient or effective. And, you know, when we get there, like it, it just it was so arrogant of mm-hmm. me and getting here and living here for a year and a half. I now I'm almost protective of him and of our ministry in realizing that until you know the culture and the context, just because you did something at your church and it worked doesn't mean that that's going to work in another context, not yeah. even in another town, yeah. like let alone another state or country. Yeah. And, you know, assuming <laughs> that, you know, better than the indigenous worker yeah. there, the people who've given their lives there, um, it's, you know, yeah. if they ask you for help, here's the, here's the thing, like in, in this, take it from someone who's working on being someone who doesn't, just offer his insight and advice and help to people uh, without being asked. Wait for someone to ask you if you need help, yeah. uh, you know, or if they need help. So yeah. if, if they say, "Hey, you know, your church is really awesome at discipleship. Um, do you think that you could assess our discipleship process and give us some pointers?" Mm-hmm. Then, by all means, you you can be helpful in that. Mm-hmm. But if they don't ask for that, um, then Try your best to be a blessing and not a burden when you yeah. go and help them in their context yeah. in what they're doing. Because I guarantee you, there's a mountain of discouragement and challenges and stress and strife that they're dealing with. And having someone who entered into partnership with them, who's helping them financially. So there's the whole fear of, you know, if I make someone mad, then we might not be able to have food on the table. Um, but also, it's just, there's so much other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And if you partner with a church planter or a missionary that's trying to do a, a mighty work, an initiating work in a difficult context, then the last thing you want to do is be a burden. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, is you need to you need to commit for the long haul. Um, enough of this, you know, three year plan and then we're out kind of a deal. Like, here's the deal that will work. If a church planter or a missionary is trying to plant a church by basically attracting a crowd, if you're going to go the route of, okay, we're going to do the big launch with the preview services and we're going to have the lights and we're going to, you know, have the big budget and we're going to try to basically shuffle sheep, then yeah, you could probably do that in three years. If you want to support real good gospel growth work uh, where people where lost people are being reached then you need to understand that's going to be slower it's going to be less flashy it's going to be less glamorous it's not going to have the big big numbers you're not going to see the booming baptism numbers you're not going to see all that necessarily sometimes you will there's times where revival happens God pours out a spirit but in general it's going to take longer and you need to be there to support for the long run I have I know I have a friend who planted a church and a large church in America who uh, is actually known for supporting lots of church plants. They do some good things, but they partnered with this church planter. And a year into the partnership, they came on a mission trip and one of their pastors, uh, you know, came up on the mission trip. And that Sunday that, you know, they're in a really hard city, whereas hard soil, they've been laboring, trying to reach lost people. And it had been a tough slog of it so far. Right. And they were about a year in. And that Sunday they had about 20 people in attendance, which is not unheard of in a hard city like that. 
and they didn't have the the lights and the flashiness and you know it was you know a basic service and uh a day after that pastor returned from that mission trip they called this church planter and said we're stopping our support effective immediately because um you're we just don't agree you know you're you don't have any momentum there's not anybody there uh you know we don't agree you know you should be doing x y and z you should be having you know like you know you need you know, a, a worship leader and you need to do your songs this way and stuff like that. And I was like, I mean, I hear, I heard that. I remember hearing that story and I was like, what? Like that doesn't even sound real. And yet the reality is, is that things like that happen quite frequently. Um, and so, I mean, that's, it's a more of an extreme example, uh, you know, I think, uh, but it's, I mean, I guarantee I just, you it happens. Oh yeah, I guarantee you it happens. It does happen. And it's heartbreaking because it's like, man, like they were, you, you know, like, what do they expect? What do they expect? You know, when you go into a hard place like that and you're trying to reach lost people, uh, you know, who don't have any Bible background, you know, uh, you're, you're not just going to see it like blow up where, you know, like, and you're going to have be having 300 people, you know, all of a sudden within a year's time, it just doesn't work like that. So, well, and what, <laughs> I mean, we both know this church planning's hard people. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, Challenging, especially like if you're going to go plant a church with 50 of your congregants, uh, you know, in a part of the city you live in or maybe two towns over to where people don't have to move. That's one thing. But when you're asking core team members, other people to join you and that involves relocation, that's challenging. And when you are trying to navigate the waters uh, of having, you know, 5, 10, 15 supporting churches and all of their recommendations, their philosophy of ministry, their, you know, whatever agreement that looks like. Mm. That's a whole nother thing to navigate. Oh, and by the way, you're trying to start a church and you're trying to form a community and you're trying to love non-believers and understand your context and exegete the culture and all these things. And, I mean, yeah, grace and patience. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm advocating on the front end, have some really intentional, really deep conversations and then commit for 10 years. Yeah. You know, like get to sure. know the person really before you say we're giving we're giving you money. Yeah. And we're sending you teams. But when you say we're with you, be with them. Like if you yeah. trust them, you know them, you believe in the work, then Stick it out because yep. you don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, you might see it year one, year two, year three. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I thought this would look different, but, you know, good grief. We don't know what year six, seven, eight is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's just patience. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, man, there's a, there's a lot more we could talk about on this topic, but I know we're kind of running up against it on time today. So uh, we will go ahead and wrap this one up unless you have any parting words. Do you? I mean, not. Uh, there was a book that I would recommend when yeah. helping hurts. That's a mm. super helpful book. Um, but speaking as an American who is living outside of America, who at one point was a pastor at a supporting church of missions. Um, I would just encourage any church leader who's listening to this before you think about 
partnering with someone. One, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're not doing that right now, if you're not supporting a church plant and or missionary church planting or missionary work in unreached people group among unreached people groups, uh, I really would encourage you to be a part of that work. I mm-hmm. mean, it is. Uh, I mean, we just see Paul's joy to the Philippians and sharing the fact that any spiritual fruit was going to be counted to their credit when mm-hmm. we all get to heaven. And so there, there's just something delightful about that. Um, and it's good for your church. It's good for your people. Um, and it's been awesome to see people from churches come to Iceland and uh, get to experience really a, a very secular culture and um, see the difference between their context and this context. But one of the things I would say is if you are considering this, um, be humble. Mm-hmm. Please be humble. And, and insofar as if you're coming to support them and you're coming to love them and bless them because they need you, um, allow them to be the people who are directing their ministry. I mean, again, if, if you are asked for your help in your specific church or your specific area of expertise, if it's theology, discipleship, counseling, whatever, leadership development, evangelism, worship, culture, you know, whatever it is, let them ask you um, and and don't assume that what you're doing will work in every context. I yeah. just really want to leave with that. Don't assume what you're doing will work in every context. Trust yeah the laborers in the harvest to know how best to work the harvest. Amen. Amen. Yep. That's good. Well, um, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up for today, but if you guys have any further questions, uh, you can always reach out to Logan or I, um, our email addresses are in the show notes and we'd be happy to answer more questions. Or if you want to learn more about how to partner with the Iceland project, what the work that Logan is doing there or the Praetorian project, uh, part of the the work that I'm a part of, let us know. Uh, also want to remind you that we do blog on a regular basis at our website, www.getinthetrenches.com. So make sure you check out those blog posts. We're going to be uh, posting about things like this on a regular basis, at least once a week. And also you can find a link there to all of our other episodes that we've recorded. Got lots of content about all kinds of things related to church planting and pastoral ministry. Uh, And also, uh, want to make sure if you haven't yet go and subscribe to in the trenches on your favorite streaming platform, Spotify, iTunes, Google podcasts, you name it. If you haven't done that yet, please make sure and do so. Uh, we're going to be back next Monday with another episode of in the trenches. So until then go out there and get in those trenches, church planters. Church planters.